0: Well, good evening, hello, you all get gold stars for braving the rain, or points from your spouse or something, whichever works best for you, uh, but we're glad you're here. We're going to let them adjust the sound just a little bit before we get started. How many of you, is this your first night here? Oh, we got some, good, good. Uh, this, is, this is night four of a six-week series, okay? So, don't worry, everyone is standalone, and I'm going to give you a little recap to kind of help catch you up, but if you want to catch up and hear what you've missed, or if you want to go back and re-hear something, go to, again, I hate shameless plugs, but go to my website, go to Brettleg.com, and up in the right-hand corner, there'll be a resource tab, and if you click on the resource tab, look for How to Live for Your Spouse, and there, all, you'll find all the audio there and uh, you can catch up. Matter of fact, if you go there, if we did any handouts that night or any homework sheets or something that night, they'll be there also. You can download them from there. So uh, hopefully that will kind of catch you up. We've got tonight and two more nights to go on this. And then we're going to move on to something else. But let me give you a quick recap if you weren't here. Week one, we started this series called "How." Everybody talks about how to live with your spouse. I need to learn how to live with my spouse. That's the wrong question. That question's too short-sighted. You might learn how to live with your spouse, but you won't have a whole lot of fun in the process. So the question really needs to be how to live for your spouse. And so that's kind of the basis of the series. And so the very first night... We talked about this. We said, if you want to live for your spouse, husbands have to lead like the king, not like a king. You can't lord it over your spouse. That will get you in trouble. Trust me, it will get you in trouble. And so you have to lead like the king, like Christ. Scripture says in Ephesians that, that husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so you have to lead like the king but wives and this is always tricky have to submit like the queen or a queen you have to you're not a second-class citizen it's not like you have no voice or you're you're not important that's scripture doesn't even get close to teaching that scripture teaches just the other way but you have to submit like a queen which means that there are times when appropriate you have to submit your rights for the sake of Relationship for the sake of Christ for, for other things, so there's a lot that was packed into that session. That's why I encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to that session. And because uh, anytime I start talking about wives submitting, it makes me uncomfortable because I'm afraid I'm gonna get death threats or something like that. So go back and check on that. Hey, Joe, when you get done there, would you kill the, the fluorescence for us, please? Then, week two, week two. Here was the principle. The principle was both for husbands and wives. On week two, husbands and wives had the same principle, and it was this it was to help them feel special. Help your spouse feel special. Even though the principle's the same for husbands and wives, the way you approach it is different. Husbands have to make them feel loved, and wives need to make their husbands feel respected. And uh, the problem is we're not always loving, but we still need to make them feel loved. And we're not always acting respectful, but we still need to make them feel respected. The reason Scripture calls us to do that is that's the thing that's hard for us. Loving our spouse or making them feel loved for husbands is really difficult. We can lead, but Scripture didn't say husbands lead your wives. It said husbands love your wives. And it calls us to do that because that's not the norm for us. We have to work hard at it. And it calls wives to respect their husbands. It doesn't tell wives to love their husbands. That comes easy for wives. It called them to respect their husbands. And uh, granted, we're not always being respectful, but that comes hard for wives. And if you want to see where this comes from, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the fall, and you'll see it all play out there in Scripture. So again, a session that had a lot of stuff packed into it. So if you weren't here, or if you need to go back and catch up, go back to week two. And last week was week three, and we'll spend a little bit more time recapping this one. The, the the command or, or, or the principle is similar for husbands and wives. It's just a little bit different between the two. First of all, we said husbands need to listen longer and speak deeper. Both are hard for us. They, they just are. They're really hard for us. But we're to listen longer and speak deep, deeper. Now, how do you do that? Well, first of all, we gave husbands what not to do because that's what I know best, what not to do. People come into my office and say, can you help us? And I say, well, I can tell you what not to do because I've done that and it didn't work for me. So here's what husbands are not to do. Don't interrupt. As hard as it is. You think if I don't interrupt, I won't get a chance to talk. You will, you will, but don't interrupt. Don't fix. Most of the time, your wife doesn't want you, nor does she need you to fix something for her. She's a smart person. She knows how to do it. She just needs a face that will listen to her and she can bounce the words off the face while she sorts things out and processes things and comes to an answer. And my tip for you husbands, if your wife says, what do you think I should do? Don't respond. Stall, okay? Just stall. Just wait. I'm not sure. What do you think? Tell me more. You know, stall. Try everything you can not to fix because... They can fix it. They just need you to let them walk through things, okay? Third thing, don't evaluate. If your wife says, I'm thinking about this, don't immediately tell her why that's right or wrong. That it will, you'll lose a limb if you do that. I'm just telling you. So don't evaluate. Let them process through things. You don't want them to tell you if you're wrong, so don't evaluate their stuff either. Then don't defend. Because the minute somebody starts defending, it's all over. Nobody's getting anywhere when you start defending. So don't defend. Listen, don't take it personally. A lot of times I tell spouses, if I unplugged you and plugged another spouse in your place, they would probably act the same way. So it's not personal. So, so don't defend. And then don't persuade them. Because if you persuade them, all you're trying to do is help them see that you really know better than they do. All right, that's not going to go well. So don't persuade. Those are the things that husbands should not do if they're going to listen longer and speak deeper. Here's what they should do. Focus on their spouse. Not on the TV. Not, focus on the spouse. right? And then feedback what you hear. Feedback what you hear them say. Feedback not just that, but feedback how you think they're feeling about it. I mean, really, if you want... Big points, go past what they're telling you to go to what they're worried about and how they feel about it. Feedback, all of that stuff. And then invite them, this is so hard for husbands, invite them to tell you more. Tell me more. Even if you sound like you don't mean it, say it, right? Because the more you hear, the more they talk, the more they'll fix it themselves. They'll work it out themselves. They'll sort through it themselves. And then if you do get involved, at least you've heard enough to answer intelligently and not get in trouble. So, those are the things you need to do. And then ask appropriate questions. Appropriate questions are not questions that can be answered with yes or no. Or short answers. Fine. Good. And pro- Appropriate questions are questions that help them open up. Tell me, more. tell me more about that. What do you think might be the problem? Here's a, here's a uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away a counseling secret. In my office, sometimes people will say, what do you think I should do? And good counselors are not supposed to tell you what to do. They're supposed to help you figure it out. But sometimes, to be honest with you, I don't have a clue. All right? And so if I don't have a clue, I'm going to look at somebody and say, I don't know what you think you should do. All right? Use it. It works. Even if you think you know the answer, just tell me what you think. So husbands are supposed to listen longer, but speak deeper, talk deeper. Wives, on the other hand, need to listen longer and speak shorter. Speak shorter. Because uh, if you don't, you lose us. You, you lose us. Here are some things that wives can do to help with that. Allow for non-talk time. Husbands actually have times when we're not thinking about anything. It's not that we're mad at you. It's not that we're thinking about it. We just are not thinking. And so if you keep pressing us in our non-think time, it's not going to get you anywhere. We're going to defend ourselves. We're going to withdraw. We're going to go somewhere else. So give us some non-think time. Learn to discern the difference between silence and slowness. Most wise, and we talked about this last week, you have more connectors between the hemispheres of your brain than we do. You think quicker on your feet. You have larger vocabularies. You're much more verbally astute than most of us. There's some gender flips once in a while, but you are. And so when you ask something and we don't immediately respond, it doesn't mean that we're ignoring you or we don't want to talk to you. It just means we have to have some ramp-up time, okay? We need a longer, slower on-ramp to do that. So give them time. Just wait them out and, and let that happen. Then, watch your timing. I told you last week, you should not be discussing anything of major merit after 9 or 10 o'clock at night. You just It's not going to go good. It's not going to go anywhere. And then if you're one of those people that you, should not, you think you shouldn't go to bed angry, <laughs> then you're not getting any sleep, right? Um, I don't believe in that, never go to bed angry. I think sometimes things won't get solved as quickly as you want to, and you just have to call a timeout, shelve it, say, you know what, rather than draw blood, let's just park this for a little bit, and we'll try it again tomorrow. So watch your timing. If they're upset, if they've had a bad day, you may need to talk to them about it, but don't hit them right then and there. I came home the other day, it been a really rough day, had a really hard counseling, lots of issues and stuff, and everybody needed something from me. And I walked in, and the first thing my wife said is, have you called this place? Did you do this? Have you done this? And I just did not handle myself well. You know, I should have said, no, I haven't, but I'll get to it. What I said was, you know what? I've been a little busy. The counselor blew that one wrong. I mean, he just messed that one up. But watch your timing. Give them, give them a chance. Find a good time for their sake and for your sake. Uh Give advance warning if you need to talk about something very pertinent, you know. Don't, the minute they get down and park themselves in their recliner, don't say, okay, we need to talk about our retirement plan right now. It's not gonna work, alright? Give a little advance warning. Set a time to do that. Start easy. Work your way up. Don't hit them with the big guns all at once. Start with the small guns. Uh, ask their opinion first. And then give yours. And the reason that's important is because if you throw out your opinion first and they don't agree with you, now they're painted in a corner. They either have to disagree with you or they have to escape somehow. Or they have to concede. None of those are probably a good option. So let the husband go first, especially if they're not big talkers. And, and let them go first and then share your opinion. Seven, speak in sound bites. Don't speak in monologues. Speak in small chunks. You know, think of it as eating. You don't try to consume the whole plate at once. You take bites at a time. Dialogue should be that way. And so, give them a small bite, let them chew on it, let them feed you back what they heard, let them talk, and then give them another small bite. That's uber important. Of all of these, that's one of the most important. And then watch your tone of voice, even though you don't think you have one, and watch your nonverbal expressions. Okay? So if you say, well, that'll be fine, but you roll your eyes, it's not good. It's not good. If you say, well, yeah, sure, that'll be fine. That's not going to be good either. Got to watch your tone. Watch the nonverbals, okay? So that's a quick rundown. And then we said that both husbands and wives, they both need to move past cliches, past simple dialogue into deeper dialogue. We'll talk some more about that in a minute. So anybody do the homework. Remember the homework last week for husbands. You were supposed to decide which was going to be the hardest for you, listening longer or speaking deeper, and then you're supposed to practice on that. And wives were supposed to look at, which is harder, speaking, listening longer and talking shor- or talking shorter. So one of those you were to pick out and, and give it a run. Did anybody do that? Everybody was afraid to, right? Right? You need to try that. You need to try. Don't tell your spouse I'm doing that, okay? Because that just sounds like you're asking for a pat on the back. Don't tell your spouse you're going to do it. Just do it and see what happens. Do it for a week. So if, if I'm having trouble listening longer, then for one week, I need to focus on how long can I listen. Or if I'm having trouble speaking deeper, if I'm just telling my wife these short one-word sentences, I need to work on that. Just do it for a week. See what happens. Okay? All right. Let's move on to tonight. Tonight is a session that deals with everybody's favorite conflict. Conflict. So we're going to go here. We're going to talk about conflict. And so since we're going to go there, let's just go there all the way. Tell me how you feel about conflict, especially conflict in marriage. How do you feel about it? Hate it. it. I'm with you. I hate it. Nobody jumped in and said they love it. Does anybody really? I, I mean, I know people that really like conflict, but... Ah, you just got ratted out right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to bail you out here in a little bit. Hang on, okay? So, yeah, most of us don't like conflict. Uh, no, we, we just don't. And where did we learn this not liking conflict thing? I mean, we, it, we just don't like conflict, but we learn that somewhere. So, pardon? Growing up. You learn it from your parents. Sometimes you learn it in marriage because you try to have conflict and it goes south on you and gets you in big trouble and then you start avoiding it. We we learn it from somewhere. Now, how many of you would say, my wife and I handle conflict differently? Yep. Some... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, some people should be voting, I think. Yeah, we typically handle conflict differently. Partly because of the way we were raised. We were raised differently. Uh, and, and sometimes it's what we've been taught about conflict. Uh, we tend to do it differently. And so that's why we need to talk about it. Because we tend to conflict differently in marriage. And it creates conflicts. So tonight the message is the same for both husbands and wives, and this is it not disconnect in conflict, which is what we usually do but to connect in conflict this is what we both have to learn, even though if we approach it differently, we've got to learn to connect in conflict rather than disconnect from conflict, so let's start with defining it how would you define conflict which sounds kind of Simplistic, doesn't it? But how would you define conflict? Opposing Opposing opinions. That's a good way to define it. Someone else. Yes. Inflexibility. Inflexibility. These are good. Someone else. Yes. Anything that takes peace out of the environment. Anything that takes peace out of the environment, then my kids are conflict. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep, they are. A lot of times, yeah. Someone else want to take a stab at defining conflict. <laughs> someone told, I asked this question one time and someone says, I can define it for you. It's me being right and her being wrong. <laughs> Fortunately, she wasn't in the room at the time. So here's a, here's a definition of conflict. Conflict is the result of two or more differences coming together and seeking to occupy the same space and time. Sounds a little scientific, but it's two differences that are put together in the same space and time. And you've got to figure out what to do with them. When I do premarital and a couple sits down and I say, "What do you want to get married? Invariably I hear, well, we're just so much alike. <laughs> I try to restrain myself from saying stuff like that, but yeah. Yeah, because we think that until we get into marriage. And we find out we're different in a lot of ways. We're different in our beliefs. We believe different things. We're different in our views and how things work. Different in our ideas. We're different in our approaches to things. We're different in our needs. My wife and I played volleyball together on the same team. One time. That was it. Can't do it anymore. You know? We, if, if we're going to paint in our house we have to paint in separate rooms because we approach it differently. Uh, we're just that different. In all, my wife and I are almost 180 degree opposite in, in almost everything. Uh, and so, this is why you have to deal with conflict. So, with all of that in mind, what do you need to know about conflict? There's two things you need to know about conflict. The first is that this. Conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. Because husbands and wives are inherently different, and and they're different in so many ways. We're different in biology. We have different hormones. We have different plumbing. Our brains are wired different. We are different in biology. We're also different in upbringing. My wife was brought up completely different than I was. We're different in, in socialization, our society, tends to, even with all the equality we talk about, we still tend to treat the genders differently. And so we're socialized different. We're different in personalities. Uh, my wife is a glass-half-empty girl. Actually, she's, there's no glass. That's a girl she is. I'm a glass-half-full. Most of the time, the longer I live, the more I lose some of that. But our personalities have been different from the start. So this is why... Conflict is inevitable. But it's not only inevitable, it's necessary. Most people go into marriage trying to figure out how they can do anything they can to avoid conflict, to not make it happen, to have a conflict free marriage. That is the most boring thing in the world. Not only that, but you won't grow. You need the conflict to grow. You see that again right after the fall in the book of Genesis. You see the conflict and you see the differences. And, and if my wife is not different from me, then how will I ever grow and change and be shaped? Same way with her. The old story about opposites attract, opposites attract until you say, I do. Then opposites aggravate. That's how that works. Because dating works under one set of rules, marriage works under a different set of rules. And, and we need the, the inevitable conflict because it's necessary for us. I found this this morning. I was actually surfing some social media and came across this, thought this was perfect. The aim of argument should not be victory, but progress. That's true in marriage. When you conflict, it's not because somebody's right and somebody's wrong, or somebody needs to win and somebody needs to lose. It's not because there's something wrong with your marriage, it's progress. When you learn to do this and do this well, it's progress. Here's how Scripture puts it. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Basically, Scripture says if you're going to be in relationship with someone, you've got to be honest. And sometimes that honesty is going to feel a like friction. Sometimes it's not always going to feel good. We talked last week, I think it was, about speaking from Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. You need to speak the truth or it's just all syrupy, nothing. But you need to speak it in love, otherwise you're bashing people. You need both to grow. Because that passage says, when you speak the truth in love, you grow up into the image of Christ. So speaking the truth in love is part of the growing up process. And, and so... That passage says it this way. This passage says it, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And you can take out the gender there. One person can sharpen another. So when your spouse is aggravating with you with something, she is trying to sharpen you. Now, yes, maybe she's just trying to get her way, but there's a reason for that. And same way when husbands are aggravating wives. We're there. I mean, it's like God had no sitcoms to watch in heaven. So he tells one of the angels, hey, watch this. And he puts husband and wife together, which gets lots of material, right? This is the way this works. This is how we grow. So it's inevitable, but it's also necessary. So because it's inevitable, we got to talk about how do you handle conflict? Everyone has a different way of handling conflict. We'll get into some of those ways in a minute. But everyone has a different way. Some go on the offensive. Right? Some go on the defensive. (laughs) Some go on a vacation and just don't come back, you know? How do you handle conflict? Me, if I'm left to my own natural tendencies, and this is the marriage counselor talking, okay? If I'm left to my own natural tendencies, I withdraw. I go silent. My wife says, something wrong? Nope, I'm fine. She knows I'm lying. I mean, she's, just, she's lived with me for 42 years. She knows I'm lying. But I'll do that. No, I'm fine. I'll get quiet. I'll withdraw. I'll pout hoping she... I'm a pouter. I'm hoping she notices me pouting. And I'm sure she does. She just doesn't take the bait. That's what she does. You know, I, 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 if I'm left to my own devices, that's what I'll do. We all have a way of handling conflict. How does conflict happen in your house? Okay, we're all, it's all confidential here too by the way just all confidential how does it happen with you guys he leaves the room, he leaves the room. so we have one that withdraws okay so if you have a, a spouse who withdraws how many of you follow them trying to get them to pay attention to you? yes you know if they withdraw you have to chase them right And and have you noticed that the more you chase them, the faster they withdraw? You know, so it's like a dog chasing its tail, you know? and So that's not a good approach to somebody who withdraws. Somebody else. Different way the conflict gets handled. See, somebody had a conflict, they had to call the police right there. Come on, be brave, be bold. We all have it. Yes. Pardon? Defensive. defensive. Yes. Yes. If you're like me, I get defensive even before I know it's about me. Right? You know, I assume if my wife says, we need to talk, I'm in trouble. So I'm getting defensive. Right? Right off the bat. We all do this conflict thing a different way. But no matter, here's the, here's the deal. No matter how you try to handle conflict, there's, it's going to wind up one of two ways. Okay? It's either going to get resolved or it's going to get roadblocked. Handling conflict will either get resolved or it'll get roadblocked, one of the two. Now, resolved is when you move forward. I mean, it may not be pleasant, it may be hard, but you eventually find a place where you can get on the same page or close to the same page and, and they get some of what they want, you get some of what you want, and you can get there you know, you, you start moving in the same direction anyway. You're connecting. That's when conflict gets resolved. This is what happens. But when conflict gets roadblocked, it, it negatively stops spouses from growing. You just get stuck right then and there. You know, I work with a lot of people who have trauma in their lives and sexual abuse in their lives. And one thing about trauma is, at the moment the trauma hits, they just emotionally kind of stop growing at that point. And so you know, if, the, if, if someone is, like, sexually abused at the age of 10, they may be 35 or 40, but something in here got stu- stuck at 10. And this is what happens with marriages when, when you roadblock. They just get stuck stuck there. They can't go forward. And, and then couples start to disconnect. All right? So we need to start talking about how to get past this. Let's start talking about conflict roadblocks. All right? Dr. John Gottman, he is one of the foremost prominent researchers on marriage and marriage satisfaction and divorce and all of those things married. And here's what he said. He said the prime predictors of marriage, excuse me, the prime predictors of marriage failure is not if a couple has conflict. The prime predictor of marital failure is when those conflicts do these two things. When they're not handled well or when they're not resolved. It's not the conflicts in marriages that submarine them, that blow them up, that end them. Everybody has conflict in marriage. It's normal. It's part of marriage. It's how we're wired. have people come into my office and talk about, we have conflict in our marriage, and we're just not getting along. And I'll say, join the club. It's normal. It's natural. It's how it works. So the problem is not the conflict in the marriage. The problem is, how it's handled. If it's not handled well, if it's not resolved, that's what leads to marriages disintegrating, basically. And so, when a couple fails to handle marriage conflict, one of two things is going to happen. First, somebody's going to run from their spouse. It's the avoider, the move to the other room. My father-in-law used to get home from work and immediately go out into his shop and work until bedtime. It's not just because he liked to work. I mean. We, we run from our spouse. It's an attempt to avoid conflict. It really is. It's an attempt to avoid conflict. Uh, talk to me about how spouses can run from conflict. How does that work? How have you seen it work? Stop talking. Stop talking. Just stop talking. Turn on the TV. Turn on the TV. Yes. That's a good trick. On computer or on a tablet or on a Game Boy or on something, yeah. Okay. Hobbies, hobbies. Yep. See, there's a lot of ways we can run from and disengage. There really is. Uh, you know, I need to call work. No, you don't. You know, there's there's just a lot of ways you can do that. We wind up being ostriches. We stick our head in the sand, or we become yes people. Some of us will agree just to end the conflict it's not because we like the answer, it's not because it's what we want to do, we just don't want the conflict consequently when somebody says, where do you want to go to eat, we say I don't care, anywhere, wherever you want you know, I think we should do this, well I really think we ought to do yeah but if we do this, and you go, okay, yes so you become a yes person, or you become a dodger you dodge the conflict, you do whatever you can to dodge the conflict when I was uh, growing up, I was not athletically inclined, as you can probably tell. I, I had no athletic ability at all, zero. All my skill and, and coordination went into my hands because I was a guitar player, but as far as sports, nothing. So, in high school, dodgeball was torturous. Because I was a good dodger. But you know what happens when you dodge long enough? you're the only one left in the game with about 15 guys throwing stuff at you. You can't dodge forever. And it's the same way in marriage. So we run from things like that. And wives, I need you to know this. I need you to know this. Most husbands fear slash hate fighting with their wives, and they'll avoid it at all costs if possible. While wives hate it, they tend to wade into conflicts because they want to get it solved. They want to restore the relationship for the sake of the relationship. And there can be a, de- a gender flip in your marriage. There's a bit of one of those in my marriage. But realize that when they're running from conflict, it's not necessarily because they don't like you. They just don't like to deal with conflict to someone of whom they are so vul- with whom they're so vulnerable. So, just a side note. Okay, so one of the ways we tend to work with conflict is running from our spouse. The other way is running over our spouse. Running over our spouse. Uh, this is an attempt, this is, this is still an attempt to avoid the conflict. It really is. But this plays out more like this. You become the lawyer. You try to out-argue them. Alright? Or you're the soldier. You're going to take ground, right? I don't care how many people have to die, we're taking the ground. All right? Or you become God. You know, where it doesn't make any difference what you say. I'm right. I'm just right. You know, it's just, it's still an attempt to avoid the conflict, but it's an attempt to squelch it rather than run from it. It's an attempt to squelch that conflict. So both running from your spouse and running over your spouse, they will keep you stuck. Remember, we talked about this like last week. This is the depth of conversation, starting at one and going down to five. If you want to deepen a conversation, here's how it works. You start with clichés. How's the weather? You know? It just simple, mindless stuff. Stuff you could tell anybody without thinking. And then you move to facts, which is what happened today, who's picking up the kids, who needs to go get the groceries. Uh, facts, they're, they're kind of functional things. That's all well and good. Nobody loses any blood in that game. But when you get to number three, when you get to opinions, that's where you start to show your differences. And and that's where you you stick your toe in the water of conflict. And so what happens is if you don't handle that well, you bump back to cliché and facts. And so your whole marriage is in the shallows when it comes to communication. But if you can work past this opinion piece, which has a lot to do with conflict resolution, Then you can get down to sharing feelings, you can get down to sharing needs, hopes, dreams, all of those things. So, running over your spouse or running from your spouse will not get you past number three. So, we got to talk about how to do that. So, here's how marriage disintegration happens marriage disintegration happens, and it's kind of progressive can be out of order sometimes. It's kind of progressive. Starts with withdrawal, like we've been talking about. Uh, You you just withdraw. Sometimes you withdraw physically. Go to another room, go to another place, go for a drive, go to work. Sometimes you withdraw kind of emotionally. You just check out. You know, you stare at the screen and go, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But you're not connecting. You're just checked out emotionally. You check out relationally. You're sharing the same house, but you're more like roommates than you are spouses. Starts with withdrawal. And and basically, this is stonewalling. This is shutting somebody out. And that's infuriating. If you want to talk to your spouse, get something solved, work on something, and you get stonewalled, it's infuriating. But if this goes on long enough, it leads to escalation. That's where internally, you may not say it, you may not show it, but internally, your frustration is building the hurt is building the negative attitudes build up it kind of builds up internally and your spouse may get a clue they can probably read you fairly well but but you don't try to let it out and here's what happens if it doesn't come out you pop a blood vessel or you blow one of the two right which means that if you don't handle the escalation well you wind up here in invalidation invalidation is when you start becoming more vocal, becoming more outward with it. You start belittling them in in, in subtle ways, in small ways. Sarcasm comes in here. This is where sarcasm gets used a lot. You start becoming dismissive or dismissing or you diminish the other person's input or their ideas. They tell you something and you go, well, that's stupid. Got to watch that. Gottman says that when you start using terms of contempt... It, it, it's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It, it's, it's like you're coming in on ER. It, it, it's awful when you start using those contempt words. And uh, here's what Scripture says about those words. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good. But the desires of the treacherous is violent. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And he who opens wide his lip comes to ruin. This is the importance of the words you use in marriage. It is extreme. I find it incredible that parents will teach their kids not to call their siblings names, but they'll call each other names. Even something as, you're so lazy. Now, they may be, okay? They may be lazy. I see that a lot. But when you do that, you have just gone to invalidation. You, you, it's not even sarcasm. You're just calling them names. My cardinal rule in marriage marriage counseling is there is never, ever, ever a reason to call your spouse a name. There just isn't. Now, I know some of you have these playful pet names and, and, and you do that as kind of a little bit flirtatious, a little bit kidding around. I'm not talking about that. There should never, ever... And if you call your spouse a name or you say something derogatory and then you go, oh, come on, I was just kidding. That's even worse. That's even worse. That's crazy making. So you have to watch your mouth when you say it. Listen to what this proverb says. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. You realize you have a chance to breathe life or death into your marriage by how you use your tongue. Not just in conflict, but especially in conflict. So, you see the spiral. It's getting worse and worse. And, finally, if it doesn't get taken care of, then it goes to vilification. Basically, you negatively interpret everything that spouse does. You interpret their character as being negative and wrong. You view what they do as... Even if the good things they're doing, you view them as negative... Again, the name-calling increases. You treat them as the enemy. When this happens, one of two things are going to happen. The marriage, in the marriage, there's either going to be abuse or divorce. If you cannot stem that tide, there will either be abuse or a divorce, or both. This is why dealing with conflict is so important. It's not fun it's not, I mean, we'd a lot rather talk about things like sex. And we'll get to that. But that's why we don't like to talk about conflict. But this is why it's so important that we do. I see a lot of marriages end in divorce. And it's not because there's anything major going on in their relationship. There's not been an affair. There's not been. But they end in divorce because they can't handle this. They take it too personally. They don't learn how to work this out. So this is why it's important. So... It's important that we now get past the conflict roadblocks and talk about conflict resolution. We got to do that, because if we don't, it's kind of like I leave you hanging. Uh, Conflict resolution is the heart of God. If you really stop and think about it, the heart of God is about resolving conflicts. It started all the way back at the fall in the Garden of Eden. From there, God was working to resolve conflict. It's just his heart. It's just his nature. And conflict resolution is at the heart of what Paul tells Philippians. He tells the Philippians in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Listen to this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but into the interest of others. This is the heart of conflict resolution, summed up in this passage right here. Now, what are some of the words? I'm going to leave that up there. What are some of the words that stand out to you as being applicable to conflict resolution? Just cherry-pick them out of that verse. Say it loud. Humility. Humility. Yes, Start with a hard one. Look, at their interest. look for their interest. And, and, and I, I like the clarification. It doesn't say you can't look for your own interest, but it says don't just look to your own interest, but to theirs also. Yeah. Yes? Someone else? Joy. Joy, which seems weird in conflict. And sometimes it comes at the end, but sometimes, you know, sometimes a little joy, and to be honest with you, a little levity won't hurt. And another way you know a marriage is in trouble is when they've lost their levity. They've lost their sense of humor. I, that's how I know I'm in deep weeds. When I've lost my sense of humor, I'm in deep weeds. Uh, and so joy is important. Someone else? Encouragement. encouragement. Which is hard to do when you want to strangle them. But, encouragement is important. Like we said a week or two ago how do you know someone needs encouragement check and see if they're breathing if they are they need encouragement someone else forgiveness, forgiveness a really hard one a really hard one but a really important one not sloppy forgiveness intentional carefully worked out forgiveness someone else affection and sympathy. Affection and, and, and sympathy, and sympathy. Ooh. getting in their shoes yeah someone else you've kind of hit most of them but there's a list of them encouragement comfort love participation affection sympathy being of the same mind full accord one mind nothing from selfish ambition humility count others as more significant not only their interest but your interest but theirs all of that is part of good conflict resolution now it sounds like we're setting the bar way too high almost too high to reach and uh... it's a very tall order so i want to give you some practical ways to do this before we leave All right, some practical ways to implement these high principles i want to give you nine steps to walk through a conflict i had to change a slide because this morning when we were putting this together i looked at it and i had written Nine ways to walk through a conflict. And it looked like, I caught it and thought, nine ways to walk out of a conflict? That's not good. So, change the wording. Nine ways to walk through a conflict. Nine steps. First one, pray. I know that sounds like the cliche Christian thing to say. And, And maybe you guys don't struggle with this, but I'm one of those people that tend to try everything I can first, and then when I don't have anything left I can do, then I pray. It's way backwards. I'm trying to retrain myself from that. Pray first. First, pray individually. Pray before you approach your spouse, if you're the one that's going to approach. Pray. Ask God to to set your heart right, to set your mind right. Ask God to make you a little bulletproof so you don't get so defensive easily. Just pray. Ask Him, God, is this something I even need to address? Is this a hill that's really too small to die on? Should I just let this one go? Pray individually. And then, pray corporately. And I know you might not feel like praying with this person. You may feel like smothering them in their sleep. I get that. But it's hard to be angry with someone you're praying for and praying with. It really is. It takes the sting out of it. So, pray individually. Pray corporately. Pray and ask God for his approach and his solution. Not yours, but his. And you may find that not only is it a completely different way to approach it, but you get a completely different result. Listen to this word from Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So he tells us to live in harmony with one another, and then he tells us how to do it. Don't be haughty. Keep your humility. Don't be wise in your own sight. Be willing to associate with someone even if you think they're not right. These are are ways that you can address this. So you pray. Then, address it. Address it. Don't put it off and hope it'll go away. That's one of my favorite tactics. If I just don't deal with this, it'll go away. It won't. Address it. Address it in the moment if possible. Now, if it's really heated or the timing's not right, re- you might not be able to address it in the moment. But if not in the moment, as soon as possible. Keep really short accounts. And, and here's why this is important. If you deal with it in the moment, if possible, again, it's not always possible, but if you deal with it in the moment, you deal with it before everybody's emotions start to elevate. And then it just becomes a problem you're working out. But if you don't deal with it in the moment, then everybody gets invested. And then you've got all these defenses and all these bruised egos, and it's just harder. But if you deal with it right away before the emotions kick in, then it's just an issue you solve, right? Uh, Like I said, there could be some reasons why you can't address it in the moment, but address it as quickly as possible. Next, assure. Assure them that you love them. I am not out to gut you. I love you. I want to be on your side. Assure them that you desire that their needs get met also. Assure them that you're not out to just win. Because otherwise, they'll jump immediately in defensive mode and, and, and start defending themselves and they won't be able to even hear you. But if you start that way by assuring them, hey, I don't want this to be a long drawn-out battle. I'm not trying to to make you mad. I I, actually want to see what you want. I love you. I'm in this with you together. We're a team. But we got to work this out. You put them in a much better frame of mind to do this. Then after you assure them, then schedule. Especially if you can't deal it right in that moment, or complete it in that moment. Schedule a time to deal with it. If you have something really important to deal with, and you approach your spouse, and he says, or she says, I'll get that at later. But they don't tell you when later is. You feel like you've been brushed off. Like you've been given the brush off, you've been blown off. So schedule it. If you can't deal with it, then say, hey, I tell you what, this is Wednesday, let's schedule Friday, let's get a sitter, let's go out and grab a hamburger, let's go out and, and see if we can deal with it. And that way you're in a public place so it won't elevate too large, you know? It's always nice to be in a public place when you do that. Schedule a time. Uh, schedule a time when both of you are in a good place, and, but schedule. Then, understand. We talked about this a while back when we were talking about communication. Understand their perspective you are not ready to address this until you understand their perspective understand what's important to them use the listening skills we talked about Uh, Stephen Covey in his book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People he said seek first to understand and then be understood Proverbs says he who answers before listening that is his fool and his folly so seek to understand them first then, when that's all been done, this takes a little bit, but when that's been done, then brainstorm. Brainstorm. Throw out, if all you have is his solution and her solution, you don't have enough. You've got to throw both of those out. I'm just telling you. If all you've got is his way and her way, throw both of those out and start brainstorming other options. Come up with as many options as you possibly can. Uh, Linus Pauling said this, the best way to have a good idea is to have a lot of them. Because if you have a lot of options, then you're more likely to get one that will work fairly well for both of you. So do this. Don't evaluate while you're brainstorming. If your spouse throws out an option, don't say, well, that's stupid because game over. Don't evaluate them. Just throw out lots of options. Look for the third, the fourth, the fifth right solution. And if you don't have a lot of options, you haven't put a lot of work into it. Okay? And then, choose an option, choose an option, deci- uh, choose an option that comes closest to what you both want. It won't have everything you want, it won't have everything they want, but find an option that gets close enough to what they both want. Okay? Uh, and you both need to agree on it. It's not, it's not an option if you both can't agree on it, neither of you should feel pressured. I'll give you an example of this, if I have time. I may have told this in here before. I'm getting old and I forget who I told what to. But my wife and I, some of our biggest tension and fights happened when our kids were teenagers. So if you have little ones, hang on. It's coming, right? Uh, and, and, And the fight was about how they kept the room. Silly me. I thought I got two daughters. They're girls. Everything will be nice and neat and pristine. No, my girls were slobs. I'm just telling you, you walked in their room, clothes were about knee-deep, you'd have to slide your feet to get across the room. They were awful. Um, now, here's where the family differences come in. My wife was raised in a home where the house belonged to mom and dad, not the kids. And you showed respect and honor to your parents by keeping everything picked up and put in its place. I was raised... In a little two-room farmhouse, and I had two brothers, so three brothers shared a space—not a whole lot bigger than that sound booth back there. All right, so there's no way you're going to keep that pristine. You know, my mom would once in a while she'd come in and say, "You got to pick some stuff up," but we put stuff on the walls. We—it was—it was just like a no man's land. And so we're coming at this from different perspectives. And, man, she was tearing the kids up because she felt disrespected. And then I was mad at her because she was being the room Nazi. And it was just awful. And so we finally figured out a solution. It wasn't everything I wanted. It wasn't everything that she wanted. But it was enough of what we both wanted that we could do. And so here was the solution. Six days a week... My girls could keep the room pretty much however they wanted to. I I didn't want, like, moldy sandwiches underneath the bed or anything, you know, no food. But for the most part, they could keep it the way they wanted. If they wanted to pick a pile of something out of a pile of clothes and hold it up and sniff it and go, yeah, I can wear that, that's their deal, right? But one day a week, well, the other option was for those six days a week, they had to keep the door closed because if mom walked through and saw it, you know, you'd have to call the EMTs. She would just go into cardiac arrest. So they had to keep the door closed. But one day a week, their room had to be cleaned up to pass mom's inspection. And her inspection was ruthless. All right? And if it didn't pass her inspection, they didn't go out that night. They didn't hang out with her. There was some kind of consequence. So it wasn't everything she wanted because it was, it was awful for six days a week. But she knew at least one day a week it would get cleaned up and be the way it needed to be it wasn't everything I wanted, but I knew at least six days a week we wouldn't have to deal with a room Nazi who was upset. That's what I'm talking about when you choose. You've got to choose something that will work both for you. That's why it's important to listen to one another and find out what's most important to you. All right, we've got to finish up here. And then implement. Whatever you choose, then implement. Decide what you're going to do, decide when you're going to do it, decide how long you're going to do it, and then do it. And then finally, you have to evaluate. You have to say, you have to come back out after a certain period of time, a week, two weeks, a month, and say, okay, how did it work? And then you may tweak something here and there to get it a little bit better for one or both of you. And then you reimplement implement and try it again. This is how you handle conflict. Conflict is not personal. It's just a problem to solve. And if you can get that in your head, this is just a problem we have to solve. I had, I, my wife and I saw a counselor a few times when I, was in, when I was in grad school studying marriage and family counseling. Ah! Talk about eating humble pie. But, but I'll never forget what they told us. This wise counselor said, remember, people are not the problem. The problem is the problem. I've never forgotten that. People are not the problem. The problem is the problem. Don't attack the people, attack the problem. And this is a way of doing that. Okay. Quickly, questions. Feedback, throwback, disagreements. You all are way too easy and you wanna go home. All right. Here's what I've got. I have cards with those nine steps on them. So here's your homework this week. I want you to pick something that your wife or your husband and you have disagreements about. Don't pick something big, okay? Don't go nuclear right off the bat. Something small, something easy. And then I want you to try to walk through these nine steps and see how it works. Start small. Start simple. Work your way up. Okay, Let me pray for you. And then come up and grab the cards. They're small. You can stick them in your pocket. And, uh, and I'll ask you next week, how did it work for you? So be ready. I'm going to check on your homework. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these in this room. Thank you for people who want to know how to do marriage better, how to pass that on to other people, how to improve this situation. Because our world is struggling when it comes to marriage. And because we're struggling because it comes to marriage, our society is struggling and it all goes down the tubes. So help us make a better impact in this way. I pray, Father, that you would help people with this homework and show them what you want to do in their marriage, even in the smallest of disagreements. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. we got two more of these.